Alan Crane Productions in association with Emergent Life Studio presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 190 for Spring Semester 2024. Today, corporate accounting statements. And there's some important information in this. And I think I've already asked this. Are you have taken FIL, or uh, rather FIL, accounting 131, have you? Okay. Well, we're, uh, I'm going to rely on that a little bit, but we take a very different approach. And, yeah, person, hang on. We'll get to that in a little bit here. But as always, we're going to have a look at the numbers today. Uh, there we go. Get the uh, projector fired up. But again, get your groups formed today. And then next week, I will lay out the framework of the term assignment for you. And... Uh, <sighs> As a, uh, just as a direct uh, statement about it, there are several places I use and I can have you use to generate uh, low-level artificial intelligence uh, prompts. And one of those, would, some of them are for pay. And I'm trying to avoid having you t eat too much fee this time. And I have found a good one, thanks to our teaching assistant, that's uh, okay as well. Yeah. If we already have GPT-4, can we use that? Mm, if you have it, yes. But you are going to be submitting the prompt, uh, your uh, your act, well, let me be a little more general about it. You will be submitting to me as part of the project your proposed uh, creation narrative. And then I will redirect you to make some changes so that you are not going to use one that's already in the stack somewhere to make sure that it is a fully customized chat for yourself. But your group will work together in the... Uh, uh, in a team to develop it and to test it and to revise it if necessary. And remember that you will provide me with the preliminary, your final, what you are going to put in to create it uh, as at the midterm, at, right after the break. I think I'm going to make it. And then you will have time over the next, the, the last half of the semester to refine it to test it against what you are learning in this class. So in other words, you're going to be the adversary to make sure that when it gives you answers, those are the correct answers to the questions. Because at the end of this, you will present to the class and I will throw questions at each group. And they will show what they get from the uh, GPT that they have created. So you're having a chance to build it, develop it, and get an understanding of what comes out for what you put in. 
you're not going to be able to just do lol text messaging types of English language and all that. Every word, every sentence structure you use can impact on the quality of the product that's coming out. And remember, this is the very lowest of artificial intelligence. What's already out there now is just almost scary. But anyway, let's have a look at our numbers today and get back down to earth. Uh, by the way, I had a, a good uh, lol here. <coughs> Let me see if I can, well, I'll, I'll find that in a minute here. But as you can see, well, no, uh, it, it's your turn. Is this a bull day or a bear day? Um, a bear day? Yeah, it's, a, it's actually kind of a noticeable bear day. I mean, it is, uh, oddly, you see the Dow started up, uh, heaven knows why, but then the bears just came climbing in, but the bulls started grabbing what they saw as bargains there. So it's going to be a kind of volatile day. It's up now. Well, it's pretty much just flat. But the S&P 500 started out down, and it's just tailing out. And that is on a lot of rumors of bad earnings reports for the big tech companies, that kind of thing. Sounds uh, from, it was coming happening last night, one uh, former student who's a trader in Chicago was uh, telling me what he was hearing as rumors, and there weren't very many good rumors in the mix last night, and that, of course, built up in the aftermarket and the pre-market a lot of uh, an imbalance between buy and sell with sell on the um, heavy side. So as you can see, at the bell, it was down from the pressure of all those pre-market orders filling in the first few minutes. And then it just kept going down from there as more uh, investors got all kinds of excited about the uh, down day. And you see the NASDAQ is just taking a toilet break right now already, and we're early in the day. It's down more than a percent and a half. I don't foresee that going too much farther. When you get down that low, bargain hunters start to sl slide in and pick up some of the stocks. I say all this to you because this gets you to thinking in the mode of the investors, of traders from my old world. Uh, and it helps you to frame in a more objective light with the knowledge that we've had from past experience being imparted to you through me. But it's not a very pleasant day, let's put it that way. It's not one of those great days. And then if you see over, well, clipped off a little too soon here. Notice I kind of ignore the rustle. I'm not sure what that's supposed to tell you about anything. But crude is actually, uh, uh, it's taking a drop. Notice that trading range. Remember I said there was a trading range we've seen over and over the past few years, and it likes to stay in that band, 72 to 79. Well, it's bouncing around. It's bouncing downward now, but there you go. And, of course, if we have the... Um, the stock market going to hell, the gold bugs are going to say, oh boy, it's the apocalypse, let's buy gold and hide in our caves. And so there they are, just pushing the price of gold up, buying gold and having a good time with it. <laughs> Silver is actually up to some, but not like that. That's much more dramatic. But anyway, 
the commodities are up somewhat. I'm not too concerned. This is just more of the, one of those days when I, I'm, I hesitate to say correction. That's such a pop fad word. It's one of those days where the markets are consolidating. They're, they're just in a grouchy mood today. And so the bears come out of the woodwork and have a uh, party. Now the 10-year bond, there's buying pressure in the bonds. You see the price going up, or oh, you're saying, wait a minute, fat boy, I see red. Yeah, that's the yield going down. Price goes up, yield goes down. So in other words, we have something. I've told you this term before, and now I'm going to say it again. You'll get used to it. Flight to quality. We have something with flight to quality. From riskier assets to uh, less risky assets. From stocks to bonds, from bonds to gold, from gold to bullets. Well, we see the stocks, the investors are getting out of stocks and they are climbing up here into bonds, buying bonds, stage one flight to quality, and you've got the gold bugs having fun. So you have a second stage of flight to quality. From stocks, risky, to bonds, less risky, and from bonds to gold, which is even less risky, at least it's supposed to be. Fortunately, we don't have any indexes on bullets right here in front of us, so anyway, uh, there you go. So it is kind of a classic flight to quality day. Now, if this goes on day after day, I get a little worried, but right now, all investors are doing is they're saying, okay, stocks suck and we can make some money taking selling out of the stocks and buying into the bonds because bond prices are rising let's grab it right now and the gold bugs are their own world running having an exciting day today too but moving over here now just as a quick note the euro there's really nothing happening in the currency exchange market as us uh, euro v, uh, versus usd and about the same with the uh, uh, great britain pound against usd there's really that's pretty tame activity a little bit of price appreciation but not much and japan is about is more so the uh well that one's backwards so the the Japanese the US, the Japanese yen against the U.S. dollar is doing the opposite of what you see there because we quote this one backwards. See how USD is on the back end of these, like the euro, USD, and the uh, pound against USD. But you see USD is against the Japanese yen, so the quote, quotes are backwards. The reason is that the, the yen is a very low price against the dollar. It's, you know, you, if you want a meal in uh, Tokyo, you might spend a couple of thousand yen. And it sounds like a lot, but no, that's just a few bucks kind of thing. That's how it works. But anyway, going over here, speaking of Tokyo, Tokyo started out in a really bad mood last night and through the trading day, which was our sleep time over here, uh, it climbed up. The bulls crawled back out of the cave that the bears had slapped them into and it came back up and finished up actually not too bad, more than a half a percent for the day after a wretched start. Now the uh, London on the FTSE 100 
it started down. Do you see how the bull pulled that one out? But we're still trading. I think they're still trading over there, and the bears have taken back over, and the, the profit taking has driven it back down, but it's really almost flat from where it started the morning over in London. So there we are. That's sort of a quick survey of the markets as they are. Looking at a few of our favorites, let's see what's happening. Well, let me show you, share you something. Um, uh, I'm going to go over here to Google news.google.com and show you something here. Um, Motley Fool. I can't, come on. I was looking for news articles. Um, the, the, this is one of those services that I was warning you against. Uh, I, I can't find the article. They're not showing me the news what, that I want to see. Um, let me try this again. Um, go back to Yahoo Finance. And we're not going to be able to see back to the classic view. Okay. They recommended in a news article that was repeated on Google News, they said, you've got to invest in AI. Well, what's the great companies that are big and hot in AI? First of all, the ones they recommended are not AI. They're just hot, big tech companies. And second of all, the ones that they recommended were AMD, which doesn't even have a beta anymore, and they also recommended NVIDIA. Now, those two companies, you notice, well, I, showed, I think I already showed you AMD. It had a beta posted last uh, few days ago, but see the beta? See the price earnings ratios? Those are not stocks that are appropriate investments for anyone with half a brain. They're both high risk, highly overvalued stocks. You have already heard in this class, and you'll hear me preach this gospel over and over again, that you will know enough to know that the motley fool is most definitely the motliest of fools there are. Unless you really want to follow a, uh, follow a recommendation service that's very popular with the mass media. Motley Fool is huge. But they're also idiots as far as this kind of stuff goes. They don't understand appropriateness of investment. You wouldn't do this. Now, as I was telling uh, Mr. Luster uh, before the, uh, the class began, yeah, AI is hot. It's hot as hell. But the landscape is in terrible turbulence because it's new, it's early. <coughs> and if you're going to consider getting in on the ground floor and grabbing stocks, your guess is as good as mine. The heavies in the business are Google, which is extraordinarily expensive to buy into, and it's got a lot of other things, but it's 
pouring its resources into AI. And other companies, OpenAI is hot in the game, but there are a lot of small players and they are going to slug it out. The one thing is for sure is that it costs a lot of money if you are going to be a source of artificial intelligence because you've got to have a lot of computing power in your domain, either in your own place or as SAAS, which is Software as a Service, or PAAS, Platform as a Service, or at the very least IAAS, which is Infrastructure as a Service. Any way you cut it, it's costly to get into this game. Some little garage operation is not going to do AI. They're going to use someone else's AI engines, AI cloud computing, AI uh, cybersecurity to get it done. So it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible what's the potential and what's going to come. Uh, but trying to find your edge in there as an investor, that's going to be a, that, that's another game entirely, especially when I, I am trained by IBM and their resources are vast, just insanely large. How you can compete against that, I don't know. We'll see. Hard to call. Now let me get a, get moving here a little bit. Oh, oh, let me pull. Now this brings us into financial statements for today. Now there are a couple of really key points. I rely on the accounting department to teach you accounting. This is the lecture where I come in knowing I have to teach you accounting, which means that I come in here and I'm thinking, I'm kind of saying to myself, do I want to teach this lecture or do I just want to kill myself? Uh, and I, I work on it and I, I'm still good with it for now, but I, I will try to make my distinctions here very clear. But I'm going to lay out the basics. And in this regard, what you hear from me is, a, is different from how accounting would see uh, those numbers and what we can do for them. Uh, remember that, well, maybe you haven't heard this. Accounting produces information products. That's what they do. They produce them for a number of different consumer constituencies. I'm using kind of odd terminology. This is the way we talk. Uh, for example, they will, uh, one of their constituencies would be the management of the company. They want to see the accounting statements. Another constituency would be various levels of federal and state and possibly municipal government. They would be constituencies, consumers of this information product being produced by these workers called accountants. Now, there are other ones, too. Unions would be a constituency, possibly interest groups, um, environmental interest groups would be a constituency. The Wall Street Boys would be a constituency. The investment community in general would be a constituency. These are all consumers of that information product that you make. So that sets the platform. They are producing a product. The product is actually part of a product line. The product line being the financial statements. Now this product line, you will have different constituencies focusing 
to one de greater degree or another on certain of those and not so much on others possibly. In our business, in finance, we will take that information product that they deliver, the income statement, the balance sheet, the statement of retained earnings, the statement of cash flows, and the notes to the financial statement. We'll take those and then we have to fix them to the extent that we can. In some cases, we're just going to look at it and use their numbers. But in other cases, we're going, we will need to add things in, take things out that are not what we consider to be meaningful, that are not what we need. So in other words, you come to my house and, you, and I say, I'm going to have steak. So I make a steak, okay? And I give it to you. Now, I like my steak on the rare side, you know, just above me level. But you look at it, oh my God, you know, it's bleeding and it's pulsating. and it's, So you put it back on the grill for a... So you have altered my product. Now, he comes in and he says, now, wait a minute, this thing, it's okay, the blood pouring out of it and, you know, spurting, but I, it's not salty enough. So you would put some salt on it. Or you would say, ew, fat, cholesterol, I'm not into that. And so you'd cut off the fat. Okay, and then you say, it's not juicy enough. So you take my infuser and you, some beef broth into it. So you're all altering the original product that I created. That's how it is with us. We are going to alter it for our needs, for our purposes. And that's when it gets the, the routines. Don't be blindsided. A lot of this, <coughs> well, this is just arithmetic. And once we've got what we want out of it, uh, then we go about the business of interpreting what we see. That's where we are really different. We, uh, the accountants, here's your damn numbers, enjoy. Well, we have to make some meaning out of our, our version of those numbers. What are they telling us? What does this say? Not about the company's past because these financial statements are what has happened already. We need to see into a dark crystal ball made from these numbers and from other resources into what is going to happen. Where is this company going? Because the value of the corporation has nothing to do with its uh, original, uh, those numbers. It has everything to do with what those numbers will be or what is a better Thing to think about than those numbers. Now, I've brought this up before, the classic example being your property, plant, and equipment. That's a historical number subject to a depreciation schedule. It has nothing to do with the value of that property, plant, and or equipment. The value of that property, plant, and equipment is whatever it can be sold for now or whatever it would cost to replace it now. That is the number that we care about. Replacement cost, not historical cost. Market value of the asset now, not what it was worth at one time. 
Many, many companies live on their reputation. And I, I can give you so many examples of that. And they think that measures the value of the company. And they don't have to worry anymore about being important because they are important, according to the accountants. But that's not how it works. I can name you many great companies that uh, stood tall in the past that are now rubble. Sears is a good example of that, a fabulous example of that. The leader, the innovator the, of catalogs to the common people, mass media, mass marketing communication. They screwed the pooch. They were so far behind the curve on getting to an online sale, selling platform, an e-commerce solution. They died because they could not innovate. So this is why we in finance have to be different. Whether you're in investing or in corporate finance or in real estate finance or in entertainment finance or in any kind of aspect of finance, it's all about what the future holds. That having been said, we start with the financial statements themselves. And, uh, let me write some things on the board here. Kill this for a minute. And, uh, oh, I know what to do. Just mute it. Okay, let me show you. Grab myself a marker here. Now, these financial statements. The pivotal statement, and I don't know if they teach you this in accounting exactly, but I'm talking to you from the perspective of a finance professional. The pivotal financial statement, a lot of people think, well, that would be the income statement because that's where the profit is. No, the pivotal, the core statement is the balance sheet. Who thought of using glass to write on. Might have to have the TA come up so I can write on his back. You can read that better. Uh, just kidding. Easy. <laughs> okay. Because the other financial statements actually flow. They, cr they are like side calculations. They're like envelopes on which you do scratch work that then shows up in the balance sheet. Well, the income statement is a giant envelope. Your revenues minus your costs minus, uh, minus your, um, what was I thinking about? Uh, minus your uh, interest expense, minus your taxes, gets you to net income. Well, that's the net income. That's the one, but it's still going to stop someplace along the way to get to the balance sheet because then that goes to the statement of retained earnings. That last number there, along with some other numbers, and that goes to the shareholder's equity in the balance sheet. 
calculate this, then calculate that, and then take it over and plop it into the balance sheet in the stockholders' equity, uh, liabilities and stockholders' equity. So there's that one. And then you have this one over here, the statement of cash flows. which show how the cash actually moved. That's the one that's closest to our hearts in finance because this is showing cash moving through the various investing activity, operating activities, investment activities, financing activities. That's showing what was drawing cash and what was providing cash. We actually, back in my time, we called this one the sources and uses statement. It was not, it, it kind of more descriptive because it told you where money was coming in. Okay, that would be at the net income line. However, where was more money? What, what else do we have to correct? And then they have add back to the depreciation expense because there's no such thing. There is no depreciation. I always thought about making a corporation called depreciation so that every company in the world would have to write a check to me. Depreciation. But absent that, okay, so you have to make, do that fix. Okay, and then you've got these problems with the assets and the liabilities, especially the current assets and the current liabilities. Let me give you an example. Um, I'm going to ask this and know that someone has not. Uh, Madam, have you seen my artwork? Mm. Of course you haven't. I have. You? Yeah. You know, so you're the weirdo who's putting those odd comments. No. No, okay. No, I had a really weird one this morning. LinkedIn pops off. Yeah, link, yeah I, I mean, I, most of it, if you ever wanted to see what I do, go to uh, either my Amazon storefront or to Instagram, Professor Wraith. But, um, okay, I go to an, uh, an art show. And I, my art is expensive. People come in, most people really like it. So I do the sales routine, and it's the artist sales routine. I sit there like the sad, brooding artist who know, whom no one understands, and then I look up, you see my art, you like it, don't you? No one likes my art. Do you want to buy it? You know, the whole game. And then, okay. Artwork, $1,200. Let's show this here. Okay, I can't afford this. I love it, but I, do you, where would you put it? Tell me where you would put it. The whole thing. Okay. Well, I offer financing. You do? Yes, yes. So, I sell it for $1,200, $400 cash, and then $800 as an account receivable. So, to the IRS, to the world that sees my income statement, they see that I pulled in $1,200, but that is a lie. Because what really happened was that revenue was $1,200, and then I had cash debited $400, but accounts receivable debited $800. So most of the action did not happen in the income statement. That has to be fixed. You see, when current assets go up, your cash flow goes down 
from period to period. Current assets go up, free cash flow goes down based from the revenue. Current assets go up, free cash flow goes down. But then she'll pay me off. She'll pay the $800, at which time I will then uh, fix the mess that happened. The account receivable will go down, so free cash flow will go up. If you can get this down the first couple of times, write this in your notes because I do it on quizzes, on the exam, and you'll see even, even to this day, once in a while, I get so confused I can't find my own butt using roadmaps and Rand McNally, okay? GPS, okay. But, okay, so there you go. You see, we in finance can't believe the income statement because the income statement is going to lie but it's not just in revenue it's also on the other side I decide sir that I am going to hire you as my assistant okay at art shows so I say you you do this gig with me and I'll pay you three hundred dollars you a hundred dollars no three hundred dollars okay well good so on my expenses, wages have gone, I've paid $300 in wages, which looks like it hurt free cash flow. But I am a son of a bitch. I'll pay him next month. So what looks like $300 out of my pocket was actually $300 increase in wages payable. So I actually freed up cash relative to what the income statement says. So when a current liability goes up, free cash flow relative to what's on the income statement increases. You follow me? But then eventually I pay him. You know, he comes around with his ginormous friends and baseball bats. And so, okay, here's your $300. So then wages payable, a current liability, goes down. Oops. And that means that free cash flow suffers. You follow it? Put this diagram somewhere. I mean, you know, if you're into tattoos, you can't beat this as a tat on your thigh. Not that I've done that myself. Okay. You follow it? But right there, the income statement appears to us in a form that is great with accounting, generally accepted accounting principles, consistently applied, <clears throat> all that, but it's not telling us what really happened. So we have to, the statement of cash flows helps us see what really happened relative to the revenue. Now, the next thing that's going to happen here, you might see me uh, once in a while. I do a gig every now and then. I am I 
used to do a lot of professional photography. I've moved more to art now, but back in the day, I did a lot of professional photography. Um, product photography, portrait, model, that kind of stuff. Uh, landscape, I, then I moved over. I did so much photography of people that I be, began to really hate human beings. So I moved over to landscape photography. But you might see me bring in someday my some of my photography equipment. I carry it around because it's so costly. I don't want to leave it someplace. Bought a lens, $4,500 portrait lens. Very, very expensive. Now, $4,500 went out of my pocket. It's gone. That $4,500, I am not allowed to put that as an operating expense. I must, to use the term, capitalize it. And then depreciate it over the number of years I'm allowed to. Now, if I were doing straight line over five years, that means that on the income statement, you would see depreciation expense $900 five years in a row. There was no $900 anywhere. All that happened was in the first year, I spent $4,500. So I must take out the depreciation, I must add back depreciation expense because it, it doesn't exist. But then I have to subtract what really happened, $4,500 in the first year. The statement of cash flows helps us do that too. And the question comes up, oh, well, wait a minute, fat boy. Uh, why, do, why, why do we just add it in to begin with? Why don't we just not look at the depreciation expense in the income statement? Uh, there's a reason, because the depreciation expense actually does create a real cash flow from its impact on the taxes we pay. Because every year I take that $900 off, that's $900 that I don't have to pay taxes on. So it creates, it's a, it's a myth, but it creates an actual free cash flow for us. So I leave it in when I'm first starting to do financial, the financial analysis, but then I take it out at the end because it really did, uh, because the amount itself. Okay, if you take, uh, I'm in a 20, say I'm in a 20% tax bracket. That 9% means that I save, that, that $900 rather, means that I save 900 times 0.20, which would be $180. So I really do want to have it in there in the expenses so that I can recognize the tax shield from it. But then once that's done, I have to add it back in because it never really happened, the $900. So take all that, and I, we're going to go through something here in a minute, and I'll, I'll flesh things out. But the statement of cash flows, it looks at all the different activity types in a company, operating uh, types of activity, then the financing types of activity, and then it also looks at the, um, at the investing types of activities. And that's where capital expenditures, you invest in stuff, would come in. And so it works those back and forth. And at the top, how much cash you're started with. At the bottom, 
with cash flows coming in through revenues minus the changes in operating uh, uh, accounts receivable and all that, then how much came into our organization through our investments in other companies, how much went out through our actual expenditures on heavy capital equipment, all that kind of stuff. At the bottom is the cash that we should have at the end of the year. There was the cash that was in the bank at the beginning, then there was up and down, all these things we have to add and subtract, and then at the end, that would mean that much cash is at the end. So, the statement of cash flows ends with the cash balance at the end of the period. Well, that is the very first line of the balance sheet on the asset side. Every one of those statements is something to do with the balance sheet. Now, I mentioned one other um, financial statement that is not emphasized hardly at all in your early accounting courses. And I learned all about this one through my work many years ago as a consultant. Uh, there are the notes to the financial statement. They can go on and on and on, but hidden in there is a ton of information, much of it numerical, that helps us as finance, financial analysts better understand the company. For example, in the notes somewhere is going to be something about executive compensation and uh, stock options and all that kind of stuff and stock or uh, warrants that have been given to executives. In there will also be notes about leases and all that kind of stuff that are, exp are liability exposures and all this kind of stuff. And even beyond that, I'll tell you a quick story. One of the things I did as a consultant, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I would help small companies go public with what were called million dollar offerings or something like that. And another part of that was we had a trick back in the day. It's still around, but only the big dogs can do it because they try to throw a little dog like me in jail for it. It was called a reverse merger. What we would do is we would find a dead, a dead as a doornail public company, something that had not, no one even knew where the officers of the company and directors were. It was sitting there in what, uh, just in limbo. It existed. And at one time it, used, it filed paperwork with the SEC because you have to do that every, quarterly and annually and all that. But that had all gone away. It was just sitting there. And you would have, back in that time, you didn't have computers to do it. You had to just prowl through these big, thick books of public companies that were done by places like Value Line and all that. And we would find possibilities. And then we'd start researching. And okay, we got it. We have a dead public shell, as we call it. Now, you, sir, have a private company. You contact me. Well, we want to go public. Well, that's going to be complicated. It's an insane amount of paperwork, and they're going to look up your butts with a microscope, and you're not exactly the 
what we would call the upstanding fine stud. Uh, and so here's what I'm going to do. I have, a, I have a way to do this for you. We are going to reverse merge your private company into the public shell. But first, I have to take control of the public shell. So I send all the shareholders of that company, I get a shareholders list, and I say, I am going to bring this company back to life. Here is a document where you as a shareholders vote me a million shares and give me control as the board as the board of directors. And I get enough of them sending back the proxy card and I've got it. And then I can use my power to reverse merge yours dead com your private company into my dead skeleton. And then it comes to life. And the first thing I'll do is I'll go to the SEC and I'll say I've got to catch up all these back, you know, the back documents and I work with them. Okay, it's, it's alive again. And then the next thing I have to do is get a trading symbol because the trading symbol has disappeared. And that's where I have to do what's called a 15C211 with the NASD, the National Association of Securities Dealers. And I can't believe I'm saying this. Fortunately, the statute of limitations has passed, so there's that. Bite me. Uh, but here's the thing is that the 15C211 is a hellacious document and they have compliance officers who are going to go through my petition for a trading symbol with a fine tooth comb. I ended up being assigned for these deals of mine to this uh, compliance officer named Claire. She was old, mean, foul-mouthed, she was a hateful woman. I really liked her. And uh, she, she gave me everything and she gave it to me in no uncertain terms. The last thing she did, when uh, the first time I filed, she said, well, I've, you've done everything I wanted, except you've got one note that you need to put in there. And uh, she said, I'll call you back on a personal line here later. And so she said, okay, here's what you do. Last note. These accountings, these financial statements have been prepared in with uh, generally accepted accounting principles consistently applied. This may not be the case with this company because accruals may not be valid. Remember accruals, you're assuming the company's an, a going concern. This company may not be a going concern and investors are advised to take that into consideration with any investment herein. It was a note there at the bottom saying, you're looking at financial statements that are a myth. But I covered my ass for my client doing that. Okay, notes, read them for God's sake. They've got a lot of information in them. Oh, mother's work is now, oh, I got a little bit of time left. Notes, pay attention to them. Now, the next thing I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna bring this guy back to life, and I'm gonna show you what we call a primary resource. You will use this for the rest of your miserable lives in finance, especially here at ISU. When you do term papers and research analysis for classes, you do not go to places like Wicca Stupidia or Investa Stupidia or to Yeehaw Finance. You don't go there for the information. You go to the SEC. Every public company must file 
documents with the SEC all the time. Now, back in my time, we could lie. But then a couple of real huge scandals wiped out a lot of people's money, and they cracked down under something called Sarbanes-Oxley. Now, the financial statements must be certified with signatures by the officers and directors of the company. So if there is a material misstatement of fact, and you have signed it, and you have, and you have, <coughs> the SEC will fine the company, but then, because you personally signed them, it will fine you too. And if the uh, misstatements are egregious enough, they will refer to the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice, unlike the SEC, can put you in prison. That means that you could be some hard-timers old lady if you lie. That's why the only people who lie on financial statements right now are people like Elon Musk. Because he literally, he, they caught him dead red-handed. What is he doing? He went on Twitter and cussed them out. Well, that was... I do that, you know. I'm going to be the wife of a guy named Bubba. He just cussed him out on Twitter a couple of years ago. Uh, anyway, but you can rely on these. These are the statements that have been uploaded to the SEC and certified as true and without material misstatements by the company. No other source is primary with financial data. No other source. Well, I read this report on, no. Well, I went and they have income statements and balance sheets. I can see right here. Look, look, right here. See, I can find the financials right here. I could just go to Yahoo Finance. And there they are. There's your damn statements right there. No. The truth of the matter is that almost every place is drawing feed data feed from those SEC filings. What's worse though, what's bad, is that uh, I, I catch it all the time. Sometimes I'm, I, I'm not thinking. Uh, sometimes they, the data glitches and a number, a really important number, isn't there. Or it's wrong. They didn't do it on purpose. It's just that the data integrity isn't there like it is at the SEC. So how do we do this? Go back to a story from long ago. And we use the Edgar filing system. And I'll show you that next week uh, on Monday. I'll show you how to go in. And they can, every company even has to provide all their financials in Excel format. So you can just draw down the Excel sheets, carve them up, make pretty charts, and look like a hero. You don't even have to key in the data. It's right there in Excel. SEC requires that all companies, and let me tell you, there is so much data, I'm going to have to show you how to move the tabs around so you get to what you need because there can be 50 tabs of financial information. And all I want are these a couple, the income statement, balance sheet, and statement of cash flows, for heaven's sakes. So you have to go around and dig it up. And I'm going to show you how to do that. But for now, what I want you to do is, for the remainder of this period, you do have a quiz. It opens up at uh, 10.30, but you, you would have until 10.50 to do it. It's a 10-minute quiz. 
But first, I want you to get together, figure out who you want to work with for the rest of this semester that you won't commit acts of violence against. But for me, that's all I have for you right now. I thank you. <laughs>